Are either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Yeah, well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry? You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. And then things got really quiet. Welcome. This is the Screening Room Podcast, and she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And we are from MadWolf.com. The Screening Room Podcast is sponsored by Marcus Crosswoods Theater. With a 70-foot-wide ultra screen featuring Dolby Atmos surround sound and Dream Lounger recliners. Everybody's still kind of sleeping off the uh, the turkey and, and, and the dressing and everything because, boy, it was so busy Leading into the holiday weekend, which is to be expected. Sure. But man, it dropped. I didn't expect this much of a drop off. I know. No, I agree with you. There's really like one major nationwide release that we'll talk about. Couple of uh, movies, foreign films especially, that are getting a limited release. And because it's so quiet, we're going to take advantage of that void, I guess, to talk about a movie that isn't out yet, but we got to see the other night early and is causing as usual with this filmmaker, a little bit of a controversy, so we'll get to that as well. But we might as well start with the one that's getting the major nationwide release this week, and it's the story of a cop who is just out of rehab, taking the graveyard shift in a city hospital morgue, and she faces a series of bizarre, violent events caused by an evil entity in one of the corpses, the possession of Hannah Grace. This job is not for everyone. Is it the hours? Because the only co-workers are cadavers. Well, I got a weird one for you. Her name is Hannah Grace. And her family was performing an exorcism or something on her. Something went wrong. And she died in the middle of it. You know what they say. If an exorcism isn't completed, evil will find a new vessel. I believe when you die, you die. End of story. Then you're up for it? I can handle it. I think as somebody pointed out, I like this movie when it was called The Autopsy of Jane Doe (laughs) a year or so ago. And I did like that one. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this is, it's nothing new. I mean, a morgue, a corpse, a, you know, exorcism. And it's one of those movies where both of us wondered how to get made. Right. It's it's one of the, it happens sometimes. You, You always hear how hard it is. To get movies made, to get a project, get the the uh, all important green light. Mm-hmm. This one did somehow, and you're just wondering why. I mean, as you brought up, it just brings nothing new nothing at, all. at all. And you know what's what's funny is that uh, I remember as I was watching it, thinking to myself, a month from now, I'm going to confuse these scenes with scenes from three or four other movies. Like it's so bland that the few scenes that stand out, I'm gonna think, wait, was that or was that the last exorcism, right? Yeah. Was that or, or the was that corpse the corpse of Anna Fritz? Fritz. Yeah. yeah, it's 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 just so unremarkable. Or even, uh, like I mentioned, the autopsy yeah, of Jane Doe, which I think is the best of that bunch uh, that we talked about. Although the last exorcism wasn't too bad. Oh no, I liked it. Um, and, and actually it's the same dad. Yeah. How many times is that actor <laughs> going know. to have a possessed daughter? So what that, happens is you open in on a, a, a an exorcism uh, a very garden variety exorcism. You've got a lovely girl, and she's she's tied to a bed in her white nightgown, and she's sweaty, and she's demonic, and then, uh, you know, some priests... And then, uh, and then the dad, and it's the same dad from the last exorcism. That's the thing. This he's not only a that guy. His name is uh, Lewis Hertham, 
And he's not only a that guy, because you'll recognize him from a ton of things, but now he's really zeroed in on <laughs> his niche. That guy whose daughter is demonically possessed. <laughs> but he, you know what? He kills it. He does. He does. He's got it. So, you know, who's Oz to you, uh, Lewis? Yeah, so he's the dad. And things go wrong, and she does not survive. And uh, I was going to say Anna Fritz. No, uh, Hannah Grace does not survive the exorcism. And then we jump ahead three months. And we get this uh, this and, this cop played by ex cop I should say played by Shay Mitchell, who has uh, had some addiction problems. She's in rehab now. She's not a cop anymore. And just to get through, she takes this all night job at the morgue. And they bring in the body of a naked, contorted, partially burned young woman who we know in an audience. We know she died three months ago during an exorcism. We don't know why she's naked. And I remember thinking to myself. How tough this might have been to cast. Because what exactly do you say? I would love for you to play the title role in my movie. <laughs> you have no lines, no but lines. you will be naked for 90 minutes. She, she spits at people and, and, and snarls, but yeah, she has no lines. No. And, and then the dad, because the, that's where the body is, the dad tries to break in. And that looks sinister, and, and, you know, you can, once the body is in the morgue, then, you know, since it's still possessed, then crazy things start happening. So you can probably fill in the blanks um, from there. But There are a couple of, I mean, there are a couple of times where I thought something might happen, right? Like, it could it could take a, a turn and be entertaining. The morgue has those lights that with sensors. Yeah. And, and motion so, sensor, Motion yeah. sensor lights. And so there are a couple of different times where they use that effectively uh, and then and then right away you you're already thinking to yourself it's either going to end it's either going to have ending a right. or ending b right and so i want to applaud the fact that it doesn't have a or b but it's just that it chooses kind of not to have any kind of ending it's a weird catch-22 for uh director diedrich von ruhen and uh writer brian Siv. if you've seen a bunch of horror movies as we have you can pick out those two it's going to have this is going to happen or this is going to happen and neither one does so on one hand good for you on the other hand i wish something would have happened yeah you should have chosen an ending didn't have to be one of those two but i think i think it ends up trying to be a metaphor for addiction definitely oh Um, i don't think there's any question but it's a very clunky metaphor and i don't think one that sticks and neither does this movie and it's going to sink and and fade away quite quickly even in this really quiet period before the the uh, right before Christmas movies start coming. So cannot recommend Possession of Hannah Grace. Unless you're having trouble sleeping. <laughs> you just really want something to put you to sleep. So next up is a movie that doesn't release wide until December 14th, but we're going to take the opportunity here to talk about it early. It's uh, the story of Jack, a highly intelligent serial killer, and it follows him over the course of 12 years, depicting the murders that really develop his inner madman. The latest from Lars von Trier, The House That Jack Built. If you feel like screaming, I definitely think that you should. <laughs> Nobody wants to help! Some people claim that the atrocities we commit in our fiction are those inner desires which we cannot commit in our controlled civilization. So they are expressed instead through our art. I don't agree. I believe heaven and hell are one and the same. When I think about all the things I've done in my life without in any way resulting in punishment, 
was excited about this one. Yeah, and first of all, we got to see the director's cut, which mm-hmm. we found out later. I read something about them being in a little bit of trouble because they had IFC these, midnight. Yeah, yeah, they had these screenings, one night only screenings, uh, and didn't have the proper waivers or something to show the director's unrated. cut, the unrated. So you know, we feel like outlaws. That's right. right now. But yeah, Lars von Trier, he's one of those guys that I don't. I mean, I think you're with me here. We don't love every movie that he makes, not by a long shot, but he's always somebody that I want to see what he's doing. He's a fascinating filmmaker, and some of the best of his work, like like Melancholia we love, Antichrist, Antichrist we even, love. even Dogville uh, I like. Don't care. Breaking the waves, dancer in the dark. Yeah. I like. I, I mean, I, I'm a, I'm a fan. Yeah. Um. Until. But he can be. Yeah. Oh, he, he can be extremely provocative by his own. You know, by intention, he can also be extremely self-indulgent, and we'll get into that with this movie. But uh, this one already making uh, headlines, I guess, getting controversy because of its subject matter and because it's so violent and the way it treats the violence. And uh, Matt Dillon stars as Jack, and he's the serial killer. And and right away, when you see this movie, you'll notice that it's it's a play on the Divine Comedy mm-hmm. because his he's got a a sidekick that talks to him before you meet his his kind of sidekick he's 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 got a a voice that talks to him and and it can be clear that they're on a journey mm-hmm. and the voice's name is verge mm-hmm. and of course in the divine comedy it's virgil uh, so you, it, it it plays on that the, the descent into uh, hell purgatory and paradise so that is the undercurrent of this movie but and it's funny that comedy is is in that title because up until a certain point it, this movie is mainly funny yeah e- even though it is bloody yeah as it sets up it's 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 uh, sectioned off into incidences in Jack's uh, murderous uh, history and uh, as they go along it's yeah it's more funny than anything else yeah, yeah it is and it's you know which I, I remember as soon as the movie was over is you know and it's it's a grisly film told from the point of view of a serial killer, but in all honesty, it is the most lighthearted film Lars von Trier's ever made. Yeah, in, in many ways it is. And when you said that after the movie, I'm like, you know what, you're right. Yeah. Because it is, it's so funny until there's this one scene, and we're not going to spoil it, but it's not funny at all, but it's one it's of... the best scene in the film. I was just going to say, it's one of our favorite, if not our favorite sequence in the movie, the yeah. way it's done. And then, boy, things really turn. But, it, it, but it, honestly, if you just take this segment... And it's one of the incidents, as a short film unto itself, oh, yeah. it would just be absolutely brilliant. Yeah. It's just, it's really weighed down by a lot of, of other uh, materials that I just didn't particularly care for. But that, that sequence in particular, a lot of people are going to be, uncom- it's going to make a lot of people uncomfortable. I mean, if you go to see this movie, hopefully you're going to know what you're in for. You're, hopefully you're familiar with Lars von Trier and how he can be, and you can expect some really gory violence. But even so, I think that scene is going to be one that uh, maybe stands out to people, because it's not something that's seen in a lot of movies. No, it uh, isn't. We can leave it at that. But uh, And then Jack, Matt Dillon, his his ways get even more careless, I guess. Yeah. Like he's not even, in, in the beginning, he's he's careful about things and how to not, not get caught. And as goes along, he's just being more and more brazen. Mm-hmm. And as he gets closer and closer to the journey that this verge is taking him on until they actually meet up. And that's when it becomes, that's when it reminded me of one of my, one of the movies that I don't care for from Von Trier is Nymphomaniac Part 2. Now, Nymphomaniac Part 1, I think both of us agreed, it had some, it had some promise. Mm. You know, it, it brought some ideas there that set up some potential for Part 2 to be something. 
part two to me just dissolved into the filmmaker just shaking his fist at a society that didn't understand him. And that's, for me, that's the whole point of the house that Jack built. So so it, it the film undermines what elements, which sequences, I think, have power by stringing them together with this narrative, which is nothing but a straw man argument um, for art as, uh, you know, degradation. And it's so tedious. It is such a slog. And I think part of the humor is that the Verge character, he plays kind of the the, he's the the straw man, and mm-hmm. so he he'll shoot. Oh, if we must, if you're yeah. boring, but say it if you have to, and he'll point out things like, for example, why are all of the women so stupid? Because in this particular film, and I'm going to say across Von Trier's catalog, this is not necessarily the case. I think he has some very great female characters, but in this particular film, all of the female victims are just stupid, and and uh, and, and, and as the first one actually literally asks for it. Yeah. It is just one of those things where you set up an argument, which is something that the audience may or may not be thinking, just to shoot it down without really addressing anything. And that doesn't make up for the flaws in your film. But the thing that I dislike the most about both Nymphomaniacs and that, that this is even more of a problem is that the narrative is only in service of this of this argument that he's having with his audience. where Now, the argument, I think, exists in a lot of his previous films, but but the films don't do service to the argument. The argument simply exists. Right. The films are, in many cases, brilliant, gorgeous, provocative, troubling narratives right. that, that are wonderful films, although very hard to watch. This film is not... It's it's so much about him talking about himself as a filmmaker to the degree that in case you didn't realize that's what he was doing in the Nymphomaniac films, there is a section where he simply shows you a montage of clips from his own movies. Yeah, that was really, like you said, in case you're not getting it. And it, it goes in line with the argument, not even an argument, just the protests he's trying to make about how he's misunderstood about his art. I mean, the character Jack talks about how... People say that atrocities in fiction just represent inner desires that were not allowed to play out in civilized society. And then he says, no, that he doesn't believe in that. He believes that the soul belongs to heaven and the body belongs to hell. And so that is basically Von Trier just defending. This is, this is what I'm about, and that's okay. You can make a personal film, but it doesn't have to be so self-indulgent, where, as what? you say, they do. he does this again, uh, like he did in Infomaniac Part 2. He has two characters talking to each other, basically setting up straw man arguments that, of things that have been said about and, Von, about Von Trier and him. That, no, this, this is... You've misunderstood. You've this misunderstood. is what I'm saying. And I think, I mean, one of the things that I do find sort of funny and interesting is that what he's... What he's in deciding which of those two characters represents him, he's basically saying, how much difference is there between a serial killer and an independent filmmaker? Not much! (laughs) (laughs) Which I think that's cheeky, that's clever. But at the same time, I'm tired of him simply using the medium to try to excuse his films. I happen to love his films... I don't really like to hear him talk about them. I'm kind of tired of it. I'd like to see another Antichrist. I'd like yeah. to see another Breaking the Waves. Please just make another narrative film that is simply a beautiful, if disturbing narrative film. Yeah. And the other thing I'd like to say about this is people who love horror films 
People maybe who loved Antichrist, who are looking forward, men may be dreading, to watch the next Lars von Trier. This, you know what? I could name 35 really good horror films that are much more boundary-pushing, much more difficult to watch, but still satisfying. So as a horror film where you're on the edge of your seat, this doesn't, it just doesn't do it. No, I agree with you, and I also agree with you about his films. They're much more satisfying as a, as a viewer. To go back to something like, we were talking about this at, at dinner last night, like Dogville, oh. which raises some very important questions about morality and and how how easily evil can take root mm-hmm. but it does it in a in a narrative way with a, a twist at the mm-hmm. end that mm-hmm. really kind of takes your gut without it being so self-indulgent because there is a big difference between making a personal film a personal statement and one that's being so self-indulgent as to put as you said, clips from your own movies in this in case you're not getting it. And that's what's disappointing, because he is. He's, he's, he's so talented, and visually, he can be just gorgeous. Some, I mean, go back and look at uh, Melancholia, for Lord's sake, right. or the beginning of Antichrist. Oh, my God. I mean, just incredible. And I do like that he's, that he, you know, anybody that pushes boundaries, there's no problem with that. No. Um, and I, I will say this movie does bring up some, some good, I guess, uh, ideas that where we could have a idea starters, where we could have a conversation about art and how you view art and and the meaning of art, and that's all well and good. I have no problem with that. But as it just as as uh, the part two of *Nymphomaniac* did, it just dissolved into this statement that tedious, slog. tedious, just became te- didn't become didn't didn't remain interesting as a viewer. Uh, As a narrative, it yeah, did not. I think, and that it was the not. disappointing thing. You know, here. And, and Matt Dillon does a nice job. He does, yeah. You know, in fact, the cast on the whole does a nice job. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and there are, you know, there are sequences that are are uh, really fascinating. And then in the end, the house itself that Jack builds, is, that's an image that'll stick with you. And I appreciated that I as a horror too. fan. I did too. Um, um, but yeah, just on the whole, if he could have found a better way to just frame these five incidents but as it is as a serial killer movie yeah i mean it's no silence of the lambs you know what i mean it just it just isn't a particularly intriguing serial killer film horror film narrative film in in a, in a weird way though i i think i would probably still recommend it with all those things being said i mean just especially because i figure anyone that's interested in this movie knows about him, I think knows what they're getting into, so I'm going to assume that. And if that's the case, I would still recommend it. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I mean, there are there really are several sequences in the film that I think are brilliant, as is the case with him. But I feel like, especially if you're a Von Trier fan, I think you're going to be disappointed. Yeah. Well, like you said, it's it's somehow comes out to be his most lighthearted movie. Oh, that's and, for uh, sure. I think I have to agree with you there. The house that Jack built. Let's go next to a few that are getting limited release this week. The first one, a Korean film. It tells the story of Jong Zhu, a young man who bumps into an old friend who then introduces him to a strange new friend who confesses a very strange secret hobby. This one's called Burning. <laughs> This is a fascinating movie. It's a long movie, and it's not a movie for people that like tidy endings wrapped up in a nice Christmas bow. 
No, but it's um, it's funny. It is it is long. It's two and a half hours long. But you and and it's not certainly action packed. It's got a languid pace, but you're just intoxicated by it. You know, you're like, why is this happening right now? Like I'm so you are just so sucked in. And one of the things I like about it is its untidy nature mm-hmm. because there are things happening like. Uh, the phone rings all the time and you automatically, you know, you're connecting it with something, but should you be because life is untidy? Yeah. Um, Yeah. And it's, you wonder about a lot of characters, motivations. Uh, Sometimes those questions you have are founded. Sometimes they're unfounded. Sometimes you don't find out at all. It's satisfyingly unsatisfying. Can I, can I say that? Is that weird? Because I guess I did get more of a, because I'd heard about this, We'd heard about how it kind of was, leaves you hanging. But in the end, it, it gave me more of a conclusion than I even thought that we would get. Yeah, no, I mean, I felt like I believe that it does give you a conclusion. It doesn't wrap it up very tightly no, in a way no. that in real life it wouldn't. But it does give you a conclusion. But what I think the movie does is it's far more interested in what comes first. Whereas a lot of times, like a suspense thriller, you know, the idea is you're waiting for that and the, it's the conclusion that's, you know, this and this, the conclusion is interesting, but it's really all of the mystery. And again, you have the untidiness of the mystery yeah. uh, that is so, and also the three performances really keep you glued to yeah. what is going on. And Stephen Yoon in particular, uh, he who, plays he plays the the strange friend who who comes back. Well, ben. The, the, the main yeah the main character uh, meets up with an old childhood friend kind of by happenstance one day. Yeah, and uh, she and they start a little affair, and then she she goes on a trip for a couple of weeks, and and he and the and uh, he stays home to mind her cat to feed her cat. When she returns from the trip, she has a new friend that she met on the trip, and that's Ben. And he's rich, and he's suave, and he's good-looking, and he has some secrets. Yeah, and and it's Stephen Yoon, who was in The Walking Dead. Mm-hmm. He was also in Mayhem. He's been in a lot of different things. He was just in Sorry to Bother You. I mean, he, you know, he's, I've seen him in a lot of things. I've never seen him like this. Yeah. He's great. Yeah. It's, it's a very understated, bemused performance that is so wonderful. But all three of the leads... They're they're fascinating individuals. They're you're mm-hmm. like you know e- even the sort of narrative character. You're like, what is going on in your head right now? So yeah. you just you can't look away. <laughs> yeah, and it's uh, it's one that you're right. It's don't be don't be daunted by the running time because it's this is one of those rare movies I think where the running time actually serves it. Yeah, because you just just go with it and it just kind of washes over you and you're sucked into this to this world and these characters and you're consistently curious about the randomness of some of this. Is yeah. it really random yeah. or is it not? You've right. got all sorts of questions and I do think you're right in the end. It it doesn't tell you, but it sure leads you in a certain yeah, direction yeah. where you can uh, pretty much make a pretty strong inference about uh, what was going on and what's or going on now. Or at least what the lead character thinks went on. Exactly, exactly. So we would both recommend Burning. Next up is a brand new anime movie. A young boy encounters a magical garden which enables him to travel through time and meet his relatives from different eras with guidance by his younger sister from the future. It's called Mirai. This is one that we didn't see. One of our writers from MadWolf.com, Brandon Thomas, reviewed this. You can check out his written review 
uh, on MadWolf.com. And it's interesting because we didn't know this when we assigned him the movie. He had never seen an anime movie. No Mirazaki, nothing. Yeah, he I went was, into this cold. Yeah, I was I was surprised when I read it. And and I think that it's it's a credit to the film itself that somebody who obviously never had any particular interest in anime was so charmed by it. And I think one of the things he likes about it is it tells a, a fairly honest story about being a little kid. It doesn't, you know, sweeten it up at all. And uh, But, I mean, still there are lessons learned, and of course it's beautiful to look at. Yeah, yeah, and he really, really liked it. Uh, again, you can check out his written review at madwolf.com. And also in limited release this week, a documentary of a group of artists in Santa Fe, New Mexico, becoming a DIY collective called Meow Wolf, an immersive, large-scale exhibition space cracking open a profitable niche. It's called Meow Wolf Origin Story. How can we make Meow Wolf sustainable? We need a building. We need like millions of dollars. Where are we going to get that? The idea of the person that could buy this for us being George Martin was really silly. It was like, please take a chance on us. Nobody else is going to. Okay, I'll, I'll buy the bowling alley. It was just like burning down some old system and having like a hyper phoenix of what art can be rising out of the ashes. And this is another one that we did not get a chance to watch. Rachel Willis watched it for us. She actually loves documentaries. She does a great job with documentaries. <laughs> she does, yeah. And she also has a, she has a really keen sense of the art world. And she really enjoyed this movie. It tells a lot about art, about commerce, about sort of working together. And, of course, the visuals are glorious. Yeah, and Meow Wolf, not Mad Wolf, so no, no relation. No relation. So you can check out Rachel's written review at MadWolf.com. And that means we're going to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Out on home video this week is a movie we really enjoyed called Searching. It's one of those movies that takes place entirely on a computer screen. Yeah. And, you know, eventually that's going to get really tiresome. But for right now, honestly, it has worked quite well and it works beautifully in this particular film. Yeah, John Cho is great as a, as a father who learns through social media and all these different platforms that is first of all that his daughter is missing his daughter Margot, and uh, second of all that she had secrets that he didn't know about and then when she goes missing the local cop played really nicely and yeah. against type by deborah messing yeah. she comes in she's on the case she immediately uh you know instructs him to scour your daughter's social media accounts and find out, friends, what's going on. And that's when he starts to find out all these secrets and they try to track down the mystery. So uh, it, it's it's not perfect. It has one or two logical slip-ups, but it holds together pretty darn well. It does, and, and, the, it, and the two performances are, are really, really solid and elevated, I think, above what it could have been. Yeah, and again, as we've seen in some of these others that, that use this device, the integrity of the device... You know, we're not computer experts, we're not social media experts, but I thought it really was solid. Yeah, and worked well. I yeah. mean, you know, you'd think that watching a whole film that basically takes place on a computer, which is all you ever looked at all day long anyway, would become <laughs> very tiresome, but it just doesn't. Yeah, we like that one. Also, a movie out this week that was kind of perplexing. It's called The Little Stranger, and it's Donald Gleason and uh, oh, Charlotte Rampling. It's got a great cast, yes. and it's yeah, and it it's hard to pin down. It looks great. It's a period piece. They they capture the period very well, but in the end, where it's going, it's just it kind of lands with a a soft thud. Like yeah. oh, is 
was that it? And it's funny because it's Lenny Abramson who did um, Room. Room. Yeah. Room. And I was so eager to see what he had to do next. And again, with this cast, which is also have has Will Poulter in it, yeah. who is always so good. And doesn't I was, get much to do here. It's a no, pretty small part. But he yeah, doesn't. he is always good. But yeah, you're right. The cast is great. The, the, the set of the locations are great. The set design, everything. The story just didn't really resonate with no, me. No, it really doesn't. It meanders and, and, and feels like it's pulling punches. And in the end... It's not really a ghost story. It's not really much of anything. So just those two uh, opening in home video this week. Looking forward to next week. Again, looking pretty quiet before we start hitting the big ones just before Christmas. But we do have Tyrell. We're looking forward to that one because it's the latest from Sebastian Silva. Oh, he does just great work. A filmmaker that we like. Also, Under the Silver Lake. Been looking forward to that one. Yes. This is the follow-up to It Follows from David Robert Mitchell. Couldn't be more excited about that one. Yeah, and also a documentary on opera great Maria Callas called Maria by Callas. So we'll talk about those and maybe a couple more that pop up that we don't even know about yet. But uh, (laughs) let us know what you thought about uh, this week's, especially when, I guess it'll be a couple of weeks, when you finally are able to see The House that Jack Built. But really would love to get your your impressions on that. Or maybe you got to see the unrated version for that one-night-only screening. Because it did... It did uh, show in a few cities around uh, the country, not just Columbus. So we'd love to keep the conversation going about that one. You can find us on Twitter. We're at Mad Wolf, M-A-D-D-W-O-L-F. Also on Facebook and Instagram, it is Mad Wolf Columbus. And until next week, the Screening Room Podcast is a presentation of the Columbus Radio Group and sponsored by Marcus Crosswoods Theater. She is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And this is the Screening Room Podcast. See ya. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye. Okay, everybody, that's a wrap. <laughs>